book and what it might mean for her family because it was like warts and all. This is our story. And so this friend of hers responds to her story and says, oh, yeah, you're right, but this is your best work. But you're right, and, and you need to shine in the middle of it and just recognize that God's calling you to shine right in the midst of all of this difficulty that you're sharing with the world. And I want to read some of those words for you. It said, some people are going to misunderstand you. So what do you do when they misunderstand you? you got to shine. Some people are going to minimize you, make you small. What do you got to do? Shine. And it said, some people are going to try to explain you away. You ever had anyone try to explain you away before? Or talk as if you're not even in the room? Or anyone like you is not in the room? Or that you don't have a voice? Even in those places, the song tells us today, and even Glennon's friend says, you better shine. That's what's left to do. Even in those places where people minimize you, places where people misrepresent you, misunderstand you, and try and explain you away, God asks you to shine. I don't know if you've experienced that week or that this week or some other time in your life, but it is important to remember that God says, stay right there in it. Stay right there in it and be sure and shine. We remember some of those people that are sometimes forgotten today with Memorial Day. Remember those who've given their lives in service so that we might have peace, so that we might have safety, so that we might have security. And we remember them sometimes by creating big, huge monuments for them, and sometimes we remember them by visiting gravesides and putting little flags next to markers. It's a holy moment if you ever go to Hawaii to go to the National Cemetery there. It's a holy moment, all those places. I remember I was in and out of Washington, D.C. many times in my last work, but I never stopped to look at any of the monuments because my flights were always so tight. It was like in and out, in and out, a different church every time I went to D.C. One of the pastors was driving me back to the airport one time, and I must have said something, and he said, you haven't seen any of these yet? You haven't taken the time to stop and breathe and look at any of these yet? And I said, well, I see the Washington Monument over there, that big tall thing, and I can see Lincoln when we drive past the circle. I can see the Lincoln Monument there. And he said, but no, you haven't stopped and seen them, given them time. And so he said, well, you are now. So he kicked me out of the car. <laughs> he was driving me to the airport, and he said, I'll just keep driving in a big loop until I see you back here again. And he kicked me out of the car at the veterans, at the uh, Vietnam Memorial. And so I walked through that memorial and got to spend time with all of those names. And it felt so, so powerful to me because in this memorial, instead of one representing one big, huge figure, it was everybody, every life, every name, at least the ones they could collect and put there. And you could spend time rubbing your hands across those names and spend as much time as you wanted to there. Some people didn't like the memorial because they said it looked like a scar in the earth. You know, if you look at it, it does. I think that's kind of appropriate, a scar in the earth, to remember those who have done so much for us. And I find it helpful today that many memorials these days don't celebrate one but celebrate all name all. And sometimes it's important for us to remember that, to remember those folks, those names. And last week, Reverend Vicki talked about holding on. 
And this week, sometimes we have to name it, and we have to name the scars in order to also let go. We have to name those names and scars in order to find healing. If we don't, we stay stuck. We stay repeating patterns we've done before, and we don't have any new wisdom. So what do these memorials mean to you? What do these stones mean? Their lives, their names, their stories, and they're also preparation for what is next for us. They're those on whose shoulders we stand, and so do we dare to be brave enough to stand on those shoulders and move into the future? It's not that we stay still and we sit there at the wall and not move anywhere else. It's we did this for you. Come on, y'all, get moving. Come on, make it worthwhile. Come on, give it meaning. Shine, people, shine. Do it because it's important to do so. And so doing you honor all of us. In a moment, my life with my friend Debbie wasn't sure she could let go. I was living with her for that first year of sobriety, and, and there was a 12-step meeting she'd gone to, and, and she came home at the meeting. She was angry, and she wouldn't tell me what she was angry about. She just said she was angry. So what's, what's going on? Why are you so angry? So there's this rude woman at the meeting. Not surprising, you know. There could be, possibly, you know. You know. Um, and so she was talking about the meeting and how upsetting it was to her. And Debbie, uh, sobriety is not a linear thing for Debbie. It was one of those things where it would be a while and there'd be a relapse. It'd be a while and another relapse. And then a longer stretch of period of time. And I thank God now she's been sober for 20 years. You know, that's a joy. But at this point in her life, it didn't feel like such a joy. And this woman had said to her, right to her face, got in her face and said to her, he said, well, maybe you're just not through drinking yet. <laughs> Debbie got mad. She didn't pat her on her little bottom and said, good job, keep trying. She didn't give her warm hugs or any of that other kind of stuff to say, I support you, I'll stay with you, and no matter how many times you fall off the wagon. She just said, maybe you're not through drinking yet. Well, sometimes a bit of truth like that might help us be a little bit different. Instead of trying the same thing over again to numb ourselves out with the same way we've done before, whatever our favorite habit is to do so, daytime television, you know, buying cooking utensils, <laughs> you know, what, what, whatever those things are, you know, sometimes they may work for a while, but then you might be in debt and they don't work anymore. Or you might be drunk again and you're vomit again waking up and it just doesn't work anymore. So she was angry. Maybe you are not through drinking yet. Well, whatever your pattern is today, maybe you're not through yet. Maybe that woman's getting in your face today and you might be angry at her saying, well, maybe you're just not through yet. Whatever it is, repeating that pattern, trying to do it alone, trying to be strong, not getting help, trying to believe all those lies that you've been told. Whatever it is, it's not working for you anymore. Maybe you're just sick and tired of it and you want to try something else. Being sick and tired sometimes is a good motivator in life. Our author today talks about herself being sick and tired. And she said, I followed fear's direction. I followed fear's direction for nearly 20 years. And she got sick and tired of it. Sick and tired of herself following fear's direction. She said, this is what it was like. Fear would say, there's not enough for you. Hurry. 
grab food, grab money, grab attention, grab fame, grab validation and praise. These things may never come again. More for her, it means less for you. Compete, get what you can while you can. Hoard it, hide it so no one takes it away. Fear had been talking to her for 20 years like that, but it didn't stop there. Fear would come back and tell her, oh no, just forget it, don't take anything. You don't deserve anything. Stay away from people. If anyone really knew you, they'd be horrified. There's something very, very wrong with you. Your body, your face, you know, you're just beyond repair. You have nothing to offer. Life is terrible and soul-crushing for someone like you. You might not be able to handle it. You might just stay quiet and just hide until the end. Well, Glennon says fear had spoken to her this way for 20 years, and she got sick and tired of it. Someone finally got in her face and said, well, are you through with fear yet? Are you through with it yet? Will you let your light shine in a new way? So Glenn was sick and tired, and our author in the reading from Scripture today is also sick and tired in the letter of James. And this is a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor, who many of you love like I do. She says, James is sick and tired of hearing what people think about faith in God. James is unimpressed by wisdom and understanding, at least the kind that people use to pound one another. The only wisdom that interests James is the wisdom from above, which has nothing to do with having good ideas and everything to do with living good lives. James is just sick and tired. He says, live a good life. Stop all the stuff you're doing. Make up your mind. If you don't make up your mind, you're just going to be sad and despairing and horrible. Make up your mind and do something. Sounds like a sports slogan, right? Just do it. Just do it. In, in my Broadway story, which y'all know I love, uh, in, the, in the show My Fair Lady, there's a scene where the main character, Eliza Doolittle, has gained some of her own power and sense of self, and she realizes that these men around her aren't worth it. Y'all know this scene? They're just not worth it. There's the old guy who's been mentoring her and, and trying to help her grow in some ways and uses all these words, and, and the character says, words, 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 that's all you have. Shut up and do something. So there's the intellectual one that's alienated from his feelings, and she says, shut up and do something. Show me. Show me now is what the song says. Then there's the younger one who's romantic and is doing all of the fluffy, flowery language and following around like a puppy dog. And she looks at him and says, I don't need all these words. Show me. You know? Stand up. Do something. Take action. Show me now. Must have been from Missouri, huh? Show me. James is saying, faith without works, have you heard this, is dead. So this is who we're reading this morning, James. Faith is well, without works is dead. Show me something, James says. Don't just talk about God. Show me what God means to you. Another author talks about this book of James, and a conservative author, Luke, Timothy Johnson, and Luke, and Luke says this. For the book of James... Social disruption and violence is a disease of the human heart. There's no healing for it except through turning to God that is explicit and wholehearted turning to God. In an age when religious belief does as much to divide as it does to unite, James points to a way of thinking 
about social ethics, about justice, where human freedom derives from and is responsible to God, to our generous God. James sees these ills in society as a disease of the human heart that keeps people from taking action on their faith. You wonder why some people don't like the book of James? You know, we sing a wonderful Lutheran hymn at the beginning of the service. You know, an old traditional one that many people will like and know. It has some good points in it. You know, just one little word will fell fear. One little word. You know, and I think it's fascinating that we sing that song at the beginning of the service and we're doing the book of James, which was Martin Luther's least favorite book in the Bible because it didn't have any grace in it, he would say. Where's the grace? It's all about holding people accountable. Well, sometimes, you know, Jesus, we just need to be held accountable. Sometimes we need someone like that lady to get in our face and say, are you through with that yet? Are you ready to try something new? Are you through with it? Come on now, James says, just do it. Another author, a justice preacher, Catherine Gonzalez, 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 says that the middle book of the middle chapter of James and this verse in the middle of this section we have is the whole basis of a book by Soren Kierkegaard called Purity of the Heart is the Will to One Thing. She says, Kierkegaard goes through all the ways in which a good action can be accompanied by evil desires, thus warping our intent to do what is right. It can look good, but if your desires are not there, then you haven't done all that God asks of you. You haven't done everything. It goes on to say the solution that they offer is to draw nearer to God. The solution James offers is to move nearer to God, to put aside our own personal goals, which are temptations, and seek only what God wishes. That can be kind of confusing. Where are my personal goals and personal agenda getting in the way of God using me in the way that God needs to use me today? That can be a very confusing and difficult thing, but James says the, the way to do that is to draw nearer to God. Do what you can to draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Some people might tell you how to do it, and that's always fun, don't you think? I know what you need. <laughs> In some of my work with the Methodist Church, we had these wonderful uh, middle-of-the-road uh, Protestant people who would tell me as I was trying to help the church be more justice-oriented around LGBT folks, around race, and around women, as I was doing this work, they would say, Troy, you just need to get a group of LGBT people to go on a mission trip. I thought, well, like we haven't, you know. We go on mission trips all the time. I said, no, well, you need to invite all of these conservative folks to go on the mission trip with you. And I said, and why? You know, and they said, because then y'all could work this all out. And I said, okay, <laughs> because I built a hospital with them doesn't mean it's going to change their bigotry towards me. Because I do all this work will not help them change who they think I am when at the very beginning they think I'm not human and don't belong in the church. But it's really wonderful, though, when you think of someone wants to stand outside of the scene and say, oh, you bullied people and you bulliers should work this out on your own. Right? Doesn't it kind of take all accountability off of the moderate, middle-of-the-road person from doing what God asked them to do for justice in the world? You know, should we tell the rapists to go on retreat with those that are survivors 
and work it out? Should we tell our new white supremacists and our people at Black Lives Matter to go on a retreat and work it out? Should we do it in ways where that means we don't have any accountability for it at all? Is that how we're going to do it? Is that what James is asking? He says, stop talking about God. Stop telling other people what to do. You get up, you do it. You get up, you do it. Glendon says, she talks about this in her life as healing. She says she likes that word much better because people ask her, are you getting better? Better? She says, I don't know if I'm getting better, but I'm healing. And she says, I prefer the word healing to the word better. To me, healing means aligning myself, my mind, my body, and my soul with the rhythm of the world. Healing means surrendering to and following the world's truest rules, the rules created by God. Draw near to God, James says, and God draws near to you. In 12-step programs, they say it this way in the serenity prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There are things you can't change, but that doesn't let you off the hook from doing the things you can change and not just talk about it, but to take action how you can. You may not be able to change the world, but you might be able to change your family, your relationship, your school, your neighborhood, your church. You have more power than you know. James says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Are there some things you're just tired of doing that you might be sick and tired and ready to try a new way? Are you pretty sure of yourself? You don't need any help. You can do it on your own. I had one of those moments in my life during the HIV AIDS epidemic. It had been a few years in and scads of people had died. And I was asked to do a memorial service, an interfaith memorial service at Rothko Chapel. And I was just exhausted. I had recognized in my life that the tears had dried up and my heart was just aching so much that what I had been doing was I'd been doing funerals, I'd been doing hospital rooms, but I had started to dance with these people with my arms a little more formal and out. You know, have you ever had a dance partner like that? Way out away from you instead of nice and close and walking with and dancing with the persons. I noticed that something wasn't quite right in my spirit at that point in time. And I turned to a friend and I said, well, how am I going to do this interface service? All these people have lost as many as I have. You know, all these people have lost as many. What can I say? What can I, what can I do in this moment of time when I'm so dry myself? And they, and they looked at me and almost like that lady in Debbie's 12-step group kind of said to me, are you through trying to do it on your own? Are you through trying to do it on your own? If so, maybe you should just tell them. Tell them what it's like. And so as we went to Rothko and it was at sunset and they were putting candles in the reflection pond there and letting them float out into the water, I just told them what it meant to lose so many people for me and what the cost had been on my life, but also what my hope was. And in the moment of telling them my arms that had been this way, pushing out, all of a sudden fell to my side again. They were just sick and tired of holding people away. 
and then we were able to dance again together into greater healing. I could rely on myself again, but I got sick and tired of it. And I needed a truth teller in my life to just come down and sit, are you tired enough yet? Or do you want to be a little insane a little bit longer? Go around the well, same way, same way, same way, same solution. You know, that's the definition of insanity. Are you ready to try a new way? God is talking in your life this day. Will you have ears to hear, hearts to open, draw near God's invitation, and God will draw near to you. In so doing, James says, just, just do it. Stop talking. Do it. Put love into action. Amen.